welcome to Human Impact Stories, hosted by Eileen Sweeney and Amy McGuire, two business leaders with background in corporate social responsibility and community outreach. More than human interest, these stories have human impact. And now, Human Impact Stories. This is Eileen. We started this podcast because Amy and I actually had a level of frustration. We know great things are happening to make our community stronger, but those stories don't always get told or they are undertold. So each episode will highlight a person or an organization doing great things and having impact on the community in innovative and sustained ways. You will hear from grassroots leaders, social responsibility experts, athletes, artists, and educators who will share their stories. And we believe everyone has a story. So thank you for joining us. And now on to today's episode. Can you believe we have started the second part of 2020? Some people may say, let's push this year to the curb. I say, let's celebrate, educate, and inspire. And I am so inspired by our continued focus on the impact of words. Amy, words do matter. And I found this quote that I think you're going to love by Winston Churchill that helps tee up today's episode. All the great things are simple, and many can be expressed in a single word. Freedom, justice, honor, duty, mercy, and hope. In a world that is changing by the moment, there is great hope in stories from today's guest, Tim Marks, CEO of Metropolitan Ministries. And Tim, your word of the day is hope. Welcome, Tim, to the Human Impact Stories podcast. I'm thrilled to join you on this Friday, uh, and I am thrilled to be talking about this word hope. Um, I'll come to the or, the origins in my journey of hope, but just real briefly about Metropolitan Ministries. We were formed in 1972. We are a Tampa-only uh, nonprofit. We don't have any national affiliation. There might be some metropolitan ministries out there. I'm pretty sure there are, but we're all independent. We're not any kind of organization. But we were found by founded by 13 downtown churches that wanted to move towards collaboration. Which you know we talk a lot about collaboration today. It's exciting to think that back in 1972, uh, when we were all well bell bottoms and beards and long hair and whatever else was going on in 1972, that uh, 13 churches of different denominations, they were doing hunger relief program uh, in the Vietnam era, people and veterans coming back, and this idea of homelessness on the streets started to become a more normal phenomenon in, in our community than it was happening in Tampa. And so instead of each church doing a feeding program on the same day, they decided to share days collaborate and make impact. And for the first 10 years, it was all volunteer run. And then 1982, uh, 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 United Methodist minister by the name of Morris Hinsman came and really changed the trajectory of the organization. And he also started to focus on families 
this phenomenon of homeless families, families sleeping in their car. Time magazine had it on the cover around 1983 or 84. And we started seeing more and more families dealing with homelessness. And most of us, most of your listeners are from a family, and they know families can get complicated and we can get, uh, they can go, things can go sideways. And so figuring out homeless solutions for families uh, is a very uh, all-encompassing uh, initiative with wraparounds. It's much more than just housing. It's uh, about alleviating suffering, right, which is hunger and shelter programs, promoting dignity, which is how we treat our clients, as well as the educational components that we can bring from early childhood education to uh, 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 elementary school to after teen and after school programs to adult education programs to life skill programs um, to job training programs, vocational programs. And that leads to self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency comes with a job and an affordable place to stay. So we work in all three spectrums. Um, we say we do that as an expression of the ongoing ministry of Jesus Christ, which whether you come from a Christian background or not, you can agree that Christ loved all and served all. That's our principle. We love all and serve all, and we'll continue to do that today and tomorrow and for years to come. Um, we're in our 48th year, and we've seen uh, tremendous growth in our programs. And let me just focus on the word hope for a second here and uh, kind of set the stage. In, I came here in 2006 uh, as a wayward electrical engineer who made a lot of money in the corporate world uh, on the sales side, started working with the homeless in Boston after 9-11, came down to Tampa with my wife, and she was going to run a company in Clearwater. I went to check out Metropolitan Ministries, got involved, never came to be a leader, just wanted to help them out. And I saw this big holiday tent experience where you see all the giving and receiving and love that comes when the community comes together to help people that are in crisis just have a Thanksgiving or a Christmas meal and a few toys for their kids. I saw all this effort, and being the brilliant engineer I am, I questioned, is it really worth it, all this effort, just to give some people really what I saw as commodities, food, toys, things like that? Is it really worth all the work that we did? Because when we put up a tent... It's the size of a super Walmart. You know, it's it's a thirty thousand foot tent, and we're 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 it's a three month effort both in preparing the tent and serving. So I asked the outreach director, said, "Can I meet with some of the families we met that we helped?" And I met Barbara, and Barbara was a single mom. Uh, she had a deadbeat dad, as she described him. She had a little one year old. And she was an accountant, and in 2007, her hours were cut back. And she was living in a tough neighborhood, and she was scared. And she came and got uh, a turkey and some food and some uh, little onesie was what she got for her one-year-old, and, and maybe a doll. And she said that we gave her hope. And here I am thinking it's about these commodities, it's about the food and the toys, she said we gave her hope, and it wasn't me that gave her hope. It was the community. It was seeing, uh, you know, families like yours, Amy, coming and loving on a family and greeting them with a smile and just letting people know they're not forgotten and that somebody really does care for them, that it's not just words, that there's actions. And when a community comes together, and this Tampa Bay community has really rallied around Metropolitan Ministries and any Thing that we've accomplished is because the community's been there with us all along. And 
what everybody that's listening to this knows is that you can be hope to somebody because it wasn't a marketing word. We started talking about hope well before Obama started talking about hope and change. I learned about hope from Barbara. And when I heard her say that, I said, oh, that's what we give people. We give people hope. And sometimes hope is in a hug. Sometimes hope is in a meal. It doesn't end there. It may start with a meal. It may end with an affordable place to stay, a job, and a kids being safe and educated. But we try to bring hope to people across the Tampa Bay community, whether they need shelter or they just need some food. Tim, I... I'm speechless. I, it is so amazing when I think of all the, I think it's fair to say millions of Barbaras that you have touched and you've really defined hope much more than I ever even had thought of. Even like I said, seeing it, the tent, um, giving food and toys and love and smiles to so many people in that definition. Um, there are so many Barbaras. As you think about, um, you said families can be trying at best. Um, and as much as we all love them, certainly the last few months have been challenging on a lot of fronts, what we were all faced with the beginning of March. And um, can you talk just for a, a few minutes about how it's changed? You know, I've seen you really take hope to a whole other level in in a very trying time and certainly for the families that you need, but maybe talk a little bit about what has been altered. And if you don't mind also addressing, you have some amazing partnerships that you have built that are truly relationships of companies and people that care so much about your mission and the people you serve. So if you can weave that answer in, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I appreciate your, your kind words. It, it is the community that, that is, the ones that we want to celebrate, we're stewards of the community's love. And there's, there's a lot of things that are, uh, are divisive and there's a lot of trauma out there. And what we've held on to is our mission statement and our vision statement. You know, we talked about our mission about alleviating suffering, uh, but on our vision statement, we're always striving to get better. We believe in growth and change. Um, we believe in the power of love to heal broken lives and build strong, caring communities. When we realized that we needed to change our programs around because we couldn't invite people into the building, we needed to be able to help families right where they're at. You saw what we and so many other nonprofits did that were in the hunger relief program. We went to parking lot-based grab-and-go food boxes. And our original projections was that we had enough food in the warehouse to build 3,000 food boxes. Um, today, as of today, we have built 17,915 food boxes in the first 15 weeks. So we thought we could build 3,000. We built 17,915. Wow. And we're still growing, right? Every And we're, we've done over 1,000 home deliveries. So, you know, it's one thing to do a, a come to our parking lot and get food. And we had people lined around the block. And then we started realizing, huh, there are people that can't get to us. So let's take their name. When they call in, our front desk was changed from just a traditional receptionist to we were literally triaging families in crisis at the front desk. And we would take the call and people would call us and say, can you deliver food to me? I'm in Spring Hill, an hour and a half away. Yeah, we can. We'll figure that out. Uh, I'm in uh, uh, Lakeland. Can you get food to me? Yeah, we'll get food to you. And we started taking the names of people that were homebound. 
people that were COVID positive started to receive home deliveries every Thursday. We were able to do that with uh, volunteers and partnerships. We started going into affordable housing complexes and doing large giveaways. So we would go into the Mango Sefner area or we'd go into Sun City and we would drop two to 300 food boxes in a community. Uh, the collaborative effort there is, I know there's a need in Sun City, but there are churches and nonprofits that are in Sun City. They know the need by name. So let's come alongside those organizations that are already in the community and give them the food and they can give the food to the people who need it the most. So we've done um, as many uh, of the number that we're at now, close to 18,000 food boxes, 9,000 have been outside our campus and 9,000 or so have been on our campus. And it's growing now that more food's gonna be distributed throughout the Tampa Bay area off our main campus, which is in downtown Tampa, than ever, uh, you know, ever before more off campus than on campus and the number keeps growing. So that's one way that we changed ourselves. The other one is um, when you needed help with your utility payments or rent payments, you would have to come in and bring in all your paperwork and we would meet with you. And, you know, maybe we would get through 20 to 50 requests a week. And um, during this same period of time, we went to a Google form on our homepage, as well as our attendants were trained how to fill out the Google form so that if you were elderly and you didn't know how to fill out a Google form, we'd fill it out for you. And that would start the process of triaging what is your need? Is it COVID? Did you lose your job? Did your hours get a reduction of hours? And we started to receive so much support from the community that we have just skyrocketed in the amounts of support they were able to give. So, for example, last year in all of the in 2019, in 12 months, we helped 700 families, but we could only give them close to 200 to $220 each. So we spent about 150 grand helping families, and we could only give them partial payments. That's all we had financially. To date, since the middle of March, um, we are close to now $900,000 distributed. Uh, close to 1,100 families helped at an average of about $850 per family. I didn't make that happen. Um, the community made that happen. Good friend of our community, Jeff Vinnick, stepped up and made a million dollar gift. We wanted to have that money go directly to people in need. Others stepped up with significant giving. So you think about this crisis, stock market crashing, people losing their jobs, guess what happened? Giving went up at Metropolitan Ministries. When giving goes up at Metropolitan Ministries, outcomes go up, and we're able to help more families. So the money has been, it's kind of like the holiday tent, right? Food comes in one side of the tent, it goes out the other side of the tent with a family in need. Now <laughs> families are not having to come in. They're getting remote case management over the phone. We're using Google technology to get the information. We're scanning, we're printing, and we're making payments directly to landlords and to utility companies to keep families stable. We never could have done that without the community. And here's the other amazing point. We have a, an office in Tampa and an office in Pasco. Of those 1,000 plus families we've helped, they go as far south as Sarasota, as far east as Winter Haven, and as far north as Spring Hill, and everywhere in between, because these are private dollars and so we can cross county lines, 
if you can hear our voice and you can pick up a phone and you can get to our website and you're in the Tampa Bay area, we can help you. And we've been helping people each and every day. Tim, that is a set of amazing accomplishments. And while your word is hope, you use so many other good ones like dignity and triage and innovation. Uh, So considering your introduction of Google Docs, have there been any other innovations you've uncovered that you feel will, you know, cause systemic change at MetMin? Yeah, I, I think it's it's uh, it's probably the root of all growth, and that it's focusing on culture and supporting your staff. You know, if your staff doesn't feel like you care or you care about their health, it's hard it's hard for them to feel good about you know, what they're doing. The mission is great, right? And it's great to be involved with life changing, help people along the way, but you got to care about your staff and you got to build your staff up and you got to make them feel, you know, valued and appreciated. And, um, by focusing on their safety. So like we only asked 25 of our 25% of our staff to show up when we were sheltering a hundred families on this campus and, and 24 families up in Pasco. So we have to be there 24 hours a day for those families. Mm. We have to have a kitchen that's out making meals every day, you know, beyond all these box meals, We've done about 220,000 grab-and-go meals, each individual meals, uh, so people can eat and then go because we can't congregate. So we had gone to Microsoft Office and Teams uh, really about a month before all this hit. So we had laptops. We had uh, remote workforce capabilities. We just hadn't gone to a complete remote workforce. Mm -hmm. And they always say that change is uh, usually easier when you have to change and it's hard to implement change when it's, you know, you know, like, you know, it's the right thing to do, but sometimes it's harder to do. Tim, it sounds like the model you're creating will stay with you after the pandemic for even greater outreach. One of the things we wanted to talk to you about today was how your outreach activities have been turned into businesses. Can you tell us about those activities that have actually become enterprise solutions? Yeah. So as far as, you know, things that we've learned and things that we'll be carrying forward. This idea of remote case management, we've been able to drive case management loads to greater levels of efficiency because we're not spending time on the road driving all over the place. We're doing Zoom calls. We're doing case management over the phone. We're helping people stabilize. And so our scale has significantly grown in our impact as well as territory. So I I don't think, you know, we don't need to spend a lot of money building a building or putting a sign up in Pinellas. We're helping families in Pinellas each and every week, either with rent, utility assistance, or food deliveries. So that's one of the things that we've learned is that we can grow as an organization and our impact using technology, uh, the Microsoft Office platforms. We were able to operate as an organization caring for 100 families on campus here in Tampa, 24 families up in Pasco with only 25% of the workforce on campus. And that was the minimum amount of people we needed on campus to support the 24-hour operations and care for our families. We're at about a 50% level now as we've opened up some of our summer camp programs. But we've been able to drive a lot of efficiencies, and we've been able to also support our staff. And that's one of the great learnings for us is always caring for our staff so that they can care for the clients. And by not putting staff 
in dangerous situations or being flexible with those that needed to work from home or the high-risk employees that we had. And I think you're seeing this in other organizations. Silicon Valley is learning that they don't need to have all their employees in Silicon Valley right. uh, to be efficient and work together. Metropolitan Ministries has also found that out as well. That's great. You know what? Um, another uh, interesting part, I think, of, of um, the work you do at uh, Metropolitan Ministries is definitely your social enterprises. Can you talk a little bit about um, either inside the box or uh, donation? Yeah, so those, unfortunately, when, when you have a crisis and people can't go out to eat or <laughs> people aren't flying, they're not going to survive. And so what we did is we brought in all our social enterprise resources and we repositioned them for uh, food insecurity initiatives and all those 220,000 hot meals that we provided into the community over the last 90 days. But uh, in general, what we believe is leverage, and when you do social enterprise, we believe in leveraging core competencies and capacities. As an organization, we're in the food business. We do a lot of hunger relief. How could we reposition some of those assets and passion to uh, move into a social enterprise so that we can actually fund job training uh, through our social enterprises. So uh, inside the box is all about catering uh, and doing catering meals, and all the meals are prepared by employees that are fully funded through the social enterprise, not through individual donations. Uh, Tim, it's a great yeah. example what you just described of your leadership and the innovation and being able to bring those two back. You know, uh, myself, the inside the box, um, every luncheon and breakfast I've been doing in my career the last few years, we've been using those. So I can't wait till we are having that type of an event again, hopefully at some point. But the other piece you just touched on, which is your leadership. And I want to, I don't know all the information, but I have seen it and have certainly felt it. You mentioned the culture. I believe you lead and your team has this culture around the, I believe there's seven tenets of servant spiritual leadership. And I think that is also so, so important to business today and what you have done with the affinity. I think I'm saying that right. Would you talk about that, especially as our business leaders are hearing how you can help them during these critical times and during these race discussions, how you can bring that to the boardrooms and the offices of what's happening? Can you talk about that? Sure, Kendra. I'll try to be brief. You know, there, there are seven principles that we've learned. It's called the sanctuary model. Um, and the sanctuary model looks at things like open communications, which is something our country is facing right now, open communications. But every organization needs to deal with that, emotional intelligence, social responsibility, democracy, my personal favorite, growth and change, social learning, and nonviolence. And what we've learned is... Uh, and it's really been a seven-year journey for us to take these principles and live them out and make them real for us as an organization, is that if you're not taking care of your employees, how can your employees take care of the client? Or how do your employees take care of the customer if they're not cared for? And that's not rocket science, but we we've, we realize that our staff, uh, they empty themselves a lot and they deal with a lot of trauma and a lot of pain and suffering. And you know, there are these issues that come from vicarious trauma over and over again, and there can be triggers in our own lives. And what we're trying to do is be the best 
leader as we can be and be emotionally intelligent about who we are and what we're feeling. And the idea of affinity as a social enterprise for us was over this seven-year journey, for example, in the last five years, previously outcomes have gone up uh, 10x even before COVID, and now they're through the roof. But let's say pre-COVID, our outcomes went up 10x. At the same period of time, expenses went up 39%. Oh. Well, mathematically, 10x over 0.39 is a 25 to 1 return on investment. Anybody listening here that's running a business would love a 25 to 1 return on investment. We got that. And I've never said to my programs team, hey, we're going to do 10x. I never planted that number. I knew we were going to do 2x because we were doubling the size of our campus. We ended up doing 10x because of innovation and engagement at the staff level, not not the leadership level. Yeah, it was at the leadership level, but it has to be everywhere. It has to be on the boots on the ground. The people that are making the difference every day, and when people feel like you care about them, they they care for others, and they they you know we're not perfect. I can just tell you that the outcomes show that the investment and care for our staff paid off. And I would tell you that when we when you have all this growth and change, and then you have COVID, and then you have social unrest uh, unrest in the streets, and you have new conversations happening that you never thought you'd be happening, but they're important conversations. Unless you have some principles to hold on to, uh, it, it's it's hard to to navigate through all that. And luckily for us, we we've, we've found some principles, and they're not just principles of the day. They've been things that we've been working on for seven years now. And because we saw the success that we had, we decided to share that with others. So we have this social enterprise called Affinity, where we'll come out and meet with businesses. We had met with uh, school teachers that were felt burnt out. We've met with call center folks that were burnt out. We've met with the 13th Judicial Court, the people that have to hear traumatic stories out of the juvenile justice system or the uh, uh, adoption system that, that, that there are people that are dealing with tough stuff every day and they need a place to have uh, self-care and ways that to, to bring themselves back to center so they can be the best they can be in the jobs that they have to perform. And certainly a trying traumatic time for all of us in our, in, in this world and especially in America uh, and especially for black people in America we need to find ways to care for each other and have open communications. We're doing that with our own staff and with our clients, and we will be a better organization uh, years down the road because we are going to have the difficult conversations. We will become a better organization. And Tim, I believe what you have done with the sanctuary model is one that we need more in every organization right now. Would you mind saying those tenets one more time? Because I think for business people around the world to hear what those are will hopefully spur them to do some more research. Yeah, first one, open communications, you know, share safe verbal and nonverbal expressions of ideas, social responsibility, being accountable to, to, to and for each other emotional intelligence, recognize and cope with your emotions with yourself and others, social learning, listen actively, pay attention in order in order to learn from others, uh, obviously nonviolence, build a model that's safe uh, and people feel safe in all their actions, democracy. Everybody has an important voice and perspective. 
I, when I talk about democracy and I talk to my staff, I say, by the way, there's times when I have a voice, but I don't necessarily have a vote. It's called the boardroom. So don't feel like, you, you know, <laughs> you, I, I can feel your pain. But sometimes all I have is a voice, but it doesn't mean I have a vote. Uh, but uh, growth and change, open communications, um, those are the things that we hold on to and we try to personalize it and hold ourselves accountable. Uh, you know, again, it centers around trust. And uh, I think it does come back to the opening topic, that being of hope. You know, yes. you've got to be able to feel hopeful in very trying and difficult times. Yes, absolutely. So, um, Tim, uh, just one last really brief um, question that we have for you. You've given us so many great words here today and concepts, but do you have a favorite word? You know, um, whenever I'm, it, it is hope. Um, okay. It is the word that I, I hang on to. Uh, mm-hmm. I can tell you, like, when I saw what happened to George Floyd and I saw all the the pain, I lost hope that weekend, you know, I, watching everything on TV. And I, I had that conversation with the staff. I said, you know what that's like? To lose? I, I lost hope watching everything going on. I said, it gave me a better appreciation of what it's like for a black person to live in America. What is it like when you lose hope? Or what's it like for one of our family members who's a victim of domestic violence and has three kids and the car is gone and the house is gone and they don't have hope for their future? It's a pretty dark place when you don't have hope. I think it's the most important thing that we can bring to each other is hope. A, A belief that things can get better that doesn't have to stay this way. Uh, there's nothing better than hope. Oh, absolutely. And I think, Tim, so many people, um, how, how can they help you spread hope and how can they continue to be involved? What are ways to, to learn more? Yeah, if you go to our website, metromin.org, M-E-T-R-O-M-I-N.org, um, I always say, you know, if someone's listening and they want to help, there's ways that you can help. Uh, you can volunteer. You can come alongside us. We can collaborate. I always know that there's always somebody that's listening that probably needs help or knows somebody who needs help. Uh, those those avenues are all available. How we can help you, or how we how you can help us help others. Again, we're we are the stewards of the community's love. Uh, nothing good happens at Metropolitan Ministries without the community's support, and we want to be good stewards of that support. So we welcome all to come alongside us and make us a better organization and make Tampa Bay uh, a better community for the people we serve. Thank you so very much. And that's metromen.org. And Tim, it has been an honor and a privilege to have this time with you. And um, best to you and all your teams for all you do. And Eileen and I just really want to thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. Enjoy talking with you all all today. We'll be back in touch with you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Human Impact Stories is produced by Jody Locke with technical support and editing provided by Kevin Tice.